ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Hey guys, thanks for joining Western Contours as we bring you Elk Holland Academy's Feature Friday. This week, Michael talks about understanding elk vocalizations, sounds, and bugles. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody. My name is Michael Batiste. I'm from the Elk Calling Academy. If this is your first time here, welcome. If you enjoy the content that you're seeing tonight, please feel free to like, share, follow, uh, subscribe, depending on which channel you're joining us from. Make sure that you do turn on the notifications. This is something that we do every Wednesday night. And then Fridays, we normally upload some sort of gear review or other little tutorial tip. So as I said, tonight we're going to talk about understanding elk vocalizations and the importance of understanding those elk vocalizations. So what kind of got me on this topic was I was kind of chatting with somebody last week and we were talking about um, similarities that we share. They actually hunt a different state and we've had kind of some of those same similarities and same experiences to where, you know, we're, we're hunting an area and it's, it's public land over the counter and there's other people hunting and his group and same thing with our group you know we're we're in elk every day we're hearing bugles we're seeing elk but we keep running into people that are hunting those same exact areas and so many of them are saying man i even have i haven't even heard a bugle or i haven't even seen an elk and you know it really got me thinking what is it that we're doing differently out there why is it that we can go hunt this same exact area as other people. Um, we're hearing bugles, we're getting into elk, and they're not. And I, I really boiled it down to 
understanding elk vocalizations, understanding, you know, what's going on, you know, out there. So tonight I just kind of want to talk about that. So Scotch mid, I go mew and they go woo. I like that. Pat O'Brien, thanks again for the call package. You're very, very welcome. Enjoy that. So, okay. So the best way I can describe understanding elk vocalizations is to kind of put it into human context or human terms. So just like in our language and languages around the world, even though, you know, other countries speak a different language, you can still tell by emotions the message that they're trying to convey. Well, same thing with elk. They have different emotions that match different situations. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people struggle with. They don't understand the situation. They don't understand what's going on. Um, I don't know how many conversations I've had with people that, you know, talk about, you know, what message were you trying to convey? Well, I was just bugling at him. Well, what were you saying? Well, what do you mean? It's, it's a bugle. They do have different meanings. And, you know, prime example, one that I use a lot is the difference between a location bugle and a challenge bugle. And there's a lot of people that all they're doing is running around the woods doing challenge bugles. Well, imagine if you got invited to a party and or a gathering and you walk through the door and you just shouted F off to everybody. Or screamed, let's fight to everybody as soon as you walked in. How would you be welcomed by that crowd? How would they accept you? Well, that's basically the same thing that's going on when you're running around the woods just hammering challenge bugles. You know, these, these bulls spend so much energy to gather the cows and breed the cows and protect the cows that, you know, if, if you're a distance away and, you know, you're just hammering out challenge bugles, no, he's, he's, he's not going to respond to you. He's not going to answer. He's not in that mindset. Why, why would he? I mean, you know, if you walked into that room and just shouted F off, would anybody in that room come up to be social with you? Would they come up and want to talk to you? No, they would look over their shoulders and look at you and go, what's that person's problem? So that's part of understanding, you know, the vocalizations and understanding, you know, when to say and what to say. So um, also saying the right thing or at the right time or doing the right thing at the right time. I mean, if you're standing there in a group and somebody's telling a story about their dog dying and you start laughing, okay, again, it, it, it doesn't fit the situation. And I, I think if you really watch, and, and that's the great thing about today with YouTube and videos and all this, that you can go on there and you can listen to elk and you can watch elk and you can also study their body language and their behavior in conjunction with what sounds they're making. And you can really get a good idea of, man, what that sound is really conveying or, or you know, really what's going on here. And, and that's one of those things that then when you get out there and you get into that situation and you start... Um, getting the interactions, um, 
it's really, really going to help you. So, okay, hold on, guys. Uh, tonight's live stream is buffering. Hmm, let me see. I know we had a problem with the internet. It was something with the line quality. They said they, they fixed it. I, I checked the line speeds earlier and everything was okay. So we'll see how it goes. So, okay. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, that's really, really the key. Understanding, you know, what you're saying, when you're saying it in the right situation. Um, those are critical. I mean, really, really critical. So uh, hold on a sec. We had a couple of questions come in. Uh, so important knowing what you're saying and how to say it, Jared, exactly. So how do you approach an elk when they bark at you? So, okay, Sean, great question. We're going to table that one for just a minute. So the, the other thing that kind of falls in line with the vocalizations, and I've, I've said this, you know, a bunch. So for some of you, this is going to be a repeat. For others of you, it's it's kind of the first time hearing it. Um, but match your surroundings. So I was doing a lesson with a student tonight, and we were kind of, you know, talking about that. And the, the question was, was, you know, he would go into an area one day, or a couple of days and there would just be all kinds of vocalizations. Then you'd go back in the next day, you know, the next day or the day after and just, you know, couldn't get anything. And, and immediately I asked him, I said, well, what was going on around you? What do you mean? Well, was the forest quiet? Was the forest loud? You know, was there birds singing? Was there squirrels barking? You know, was there other animals making noises? And, and he just kind of paused and was like, Man, I, I don't know. Well, those are all the things that you need to pay attention to and match your surroundings. Because again, that falls into understanding the vocalizations, but understanding also how the vocalizations work within the environment. So there, it's, it's not just run out and, you know, make a cow sound or make a bugle and things are going to happen. There is a vocal structure with different meanings there that need to be done to kind of match the picture that you're trying to portray. Cause that's really what you're doing with calling. You're, you're painting this picture. So now Sean, to answer your question about how do you approach an elk when they bark at you? I think first off, you need to understand why that elk is barking at you. So basically the nervous bark is just that elk barking saying, I, I'm not comfortable with the situation. I should be able to see this elk that's making this noise. And I don't, I, I don't see you. You, you need to present yourself to me. You need to show yourself to me. And that's basically what they're doing. They're, they're barking at you because they're not comfortable with the situation and they want you to present yourself. Um, and again, that kind of falls in with understanding the vocalization. And if you know how to, you know, bark back at them, you're basically conveying that same message back to, you know, that elk is, you know, they're barking at you saying, hey, I can't see you or I don't feel comfortable. You know, you bark right back. You're basically saying the same thing to them of, you know, I I can't see you. I don't believe that you're an elk. You need to come closer. You need to prove to me that you're, you know, you're an elk. And so 
it's it's one of those tools that can be extremely effective. But unfortunately, so many people think that as soon as they hear a bark, the hunt's done. You know, that elk is done. Quite the opposite. I don't know how many hunts that I've been on over the years that the ability to bark back has actually saved the situation that actually has calmed that elk down and, you know, proceeded into more opportunities of working that bull or shot opportunities. So, so Sean, the way you approach an elk that barks at you bark right back. And you may sit there. In fact, I have uh, video footage of 20 minutes of a cow and I barking back and forth and, you know, you can add other sounds in. You can you can bark and then do uh, you know cow mew or two. You can bark. You can do a little bugle. You can bark into chuckles. Just something to add that realism back into it. And that right there, that is understanding the vocalizations and understanding the situation that you're in and knowing what to what to do back. So. Jack, great topic for this evening, Treadmill Diaries. I love it. Maddie Lux, how you doing? So, Nick, could you explain the difference between a challenge bugle and a location bugle? Absolutely. So, okay. So, a location bugle is just that. It's, it's just nice and relaxed. It's almost like you saying hi to your friends. It's no big finish. It's just nice and controlled. So there's no big finish to it. There's no big rush. Now, a challenge bugle is going to go from that bottom note all the way up to the high note really quickly. So notice it didn't have that nice steady climb like a location bugle. You just went from the bottom note to that high note extremely quick. And the, the challenge bugle will, will typically have a higher pitch, a little more airiness to it, um, because, I mean, it's, it's a challenge. There's more attitude into that call. So just remember, when you're doing the location bugles, nice and relaxed. Challenge bugle, your start, high note, quick. So uh, chasing the hunt from Instagram, how long should you wait to reply back to a bull elk? Um, you know, you could reply right away. So you do kind of also want to, you know, take into account what you're doing, what your setup is, you know, what type of bugle did he give you? So, um, but yeah, if you've got a bull that's responding back to you, you can go ahead and respond back to him immediately. Just keep that engagement, keep that conversation. So just think of it as a way that you're having a conversation with a friend. Okay, they responded. You go ahead and respond back. It's it's not like you you, you know your friend said something and you kind of sit there for a couple of minutes and then you know respond back to them. Just think of that interaction. That's kind of that's kind of what you're doing with it when you're working with a bull. You're interacting. You're having that conversation with them. So, okay, chasing the hunt. Hope that answered your question, Nick. Hope that explained the difference between a challenge bugle and a location bugle. Okay, all good. Video quality is great. Okay, no buffering here. Dave from California, welcome. Uh, Scott, only bull I called in barked but stayed engaged when my buddy and I kept calling to him. Not a game breaker. No, not at all. So, 
Um, you know, like I said, the, the, the bark is, is not a bad thing. And I think maybe sometimes the reason people may think the bark is bad is because they don't fully understand it. They don't really understand, you know, what it is or even, even how to do it. So power 7502 matches tempo and work, uh, to wind him up. Yeah. Mimicking, uh, mimicking a bull is a great, great tool as far as matching, you know, his aggression level, his tempo, how often he calls, um, you know, you, you kind of throw all those things into play and you won't, intimidate or run off a bull if you're matching his intensity and his tempo so ah uh, james hello from the gila mike boyd got my marco perfect remember to really press that tape so cody do you think all bulls can be called um you know here's here's the funny thing do i think all bulls can be called in yes can they be called in every day? Not necessarily. There's going to be some situations where that bull just isn't going to come. I mean, because because really, that's what we're doing out there when we're calling is is we're trying to give them a reason to come in. And unfortunately, there's nothing that we can do to speed that up. That, again, kind of goes with understanding the vocalizations and understanding you know, your, your surroundings. A lot of people think that if they get more excited or they call more frequently or they do this, that they're going to make that bull come in faster. And that's not always the case. And in fact, a lot of times it can push that bull away. If you really try to rush the situation, you basically just need to kind of control the situation. Remember, we've talked about offensive versus defensive calling in the past. Stay on offense. Stay on offense, run your play, and he will eventually, you know, once he decides, I'm going to come in, he's going to come in. But until he decides, he's not going to come. So, so, Cody, that's kind of a mixed question. Yes, they all can be called in. But there are times that they're not going to leave their cows or no matter what you do, they're not going to come in on that day. Okay, saw another one over here on Instagram. How do you know if you should be aggressive or passive when calling? That is a great question. So aggressive or passive. The easiest way to tell is by the responses that you're getting back from a bull. Okay, now say, for example, you're working a bull and you kind of throw out a fairly aggressive bugle. So, and in response, you know, you just get this low whine. Well, that's a good indication that there is a chance that you could have intimidated that bull. That now all of a sudden he's like, ooh, wait a minute. Maybe this bull is bigger than, you know, what I thought. Maybe... Uh, maybe I don't want to mess with this guy. So the easiest way to know whether you need to be aggressive or passive is pay attention to the responses that you're getting back from the bull. If you throw a semi-aggressive bugle out and you get a semi-aggressive response back, then you know that he is matching your intensity and you can go ahead and stay at that level. But sometimes you need to kind of you know, backpedal that a little bit, depending on 
what kind of bull that you're dealing with and paying attention to those responses and understanding kind of that information that he's giving back to you. Because that's kind of what you're doing throughout these whole interactions. You're gathering that information in, you know, what is he doing? How is he responding? Is he aggressive? Is he passive? You know, is, is, you know, is he coming to me? Is he staying put? You're analyzing all this information really quick in order to know what to kind of do back and, you know, uncover his hot buttons. So Nimrod, I hope that kind of answered your question. Uh, another one, do they travel with heat or stick to the colder areas when the weather is about to change? So, uh, you know, Wade, typically throughout the year, definitely during the warmer months, you'll find them on the cooler side of the mountain, which is kind of your north and northeastern facing slopes of the mountain. You can always tell the hot side of the mountain versus the cool side of the mountain because you can feel that temperature change. Once you get on kind of those southern faces, you'll notice that those are a little, generally, they're a little more dry. They're a little warmer. But as soon as you kind of cross over to that other side, timber gets a little thicker, uh, you know, cooler. You can feel that temperature drop a little bit. Um, so for most of the time, they will stay on that cooler side of the mountain. Now, during the winter time, they start to more head towards those southern facing slopes because they want that little extra warmth. They want those little warmer temperatures. And really a lot of times, it's not a huge drastic change. Uh, you, you know, you might have a 10 degree change from hot side, cool side, uh, but most of the time they'll hang out on that cooler side. So hope that answers your question. Okay, we got some more over here. GC calls made it better late than never. Uh, Jack, if the bull is talking back and forth with you, say for five minutes or longer, is it okay to throw in a cow call into the mix or keep going on what's working? So Jack, that's one of those things where you're, you're kind of analyzing that situation. So prime example, uh, a few years back, um, it was kind of evening time. We were basically just going to locate a bull for the next morning. And we got up onto this clear cut ridge and I threw out a couple of cow calls and I got a pretty decent bugle back. And so I walked up about 15 yards and I wanted to test. So I threw a location bugle out and I got a real timid response. So we kind of moved up, kind of got set up and I wanted to test it again. Did a couple of cow sounds, got an excited response. I did a small bugle again, got a timid response. So that immediately told me what this bull was looking for. Now the advantage of this was, was this is an area that we had already hunted a couple of times previous in this year. And we knew that there was a herd bull and a satellite bull that were hanging out in this area. And I immediately knew based on his responses to what I was doing, that we were dealing with that satellite bull. So I just stayed with the cow sounds and brought him in. And he ended up about 20 yards from Bryce. And in fact, it was funny when, when we got done, Bryce asked me, you know, why did you only cow call? You never bugled. Well, I paid attention to how that bull was responding. They'll let you know what they like. So, okay. So, Jack, hopefully that answers yours. Um, Nimrod, how do I get over the fear of blowing the elk out of with my calling if I don't call that well? Am I up a creek? No, it's, 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 you don't have to be a world-class caller. So, and in fact, I've heard bulls out there sometimes that 
you know, I shook my head and was like, holy cow. I am eight miles back in here and there is somebody back here on a Primos Terminator and they're not very good with it. I was going to mess with that person and kind of get them out of my hunting spot only to find out that it was a little raghorn bull. So, so no, you don't have to be the best caller. Nimrod, the more important thing to do is understand the vocalizations and understand you know, what they mean and when to do them and how to use them. That's the more important thing. So, um, you know, that is one thing that we teach in our one-on-one -on -one lessons. We go through the cow vocalizations, you know, what they are, what they mean, when to use them. Same thing with the bulls. We talk about different calling sequences and, and how to use all these different things. So any of you guys that want to learn more about really this definitive uh, you know, vocalizations that we're talking about and what the different sounds mean, you know, get a hold of us. So get a get a one-on-one -on -one lesson, you know, set up. For you guys that are not in the area, uh, cool thing is we use Zoom video conferencing. So you actually get a recording of the lesson that you can watch and you have access to that for uh, like 14 days, I think. So, so Nimrod, hopefully that answered your question. So we got another one here. John, are the bulls uh, staying more quiet in wolf country now and not being as vocal? Wondered if you've experienced that. Last fall had a hard time locating bulls, but did hear wolves quite a bit. Yeah, and John, actually, we talked about this on Wapiti Wednesday either last week or week before. Uh, if you head to the YouTube channel, uh, we did a Wapiti Wednesday about hunting elk and wolves. But to answer your question in a nutshell, Yes, they are getting quieter. Um, they're also getting into the thicker timber, which knocks that sound down a lot more. It doesn't allow it to travel as far. Um, and they're also going to sounds that are kind of on the lower end. You know, your huffs, grunts, and whines, your raking, your glunking, you know, sounds that don't travel as far. And they can actually um, still convey emotion with these sounds but they don't have to worry about it traveling long distance and getting pegged by the wolves. But yeah, go to the, go to the YouTube channel and you can watch that Wapiti Wednesday where we actually talked quite a bit about that. So uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Jared, please explain the steps you go through as you build a bull up to being aggressive. So Jared, the, my number one tactic for really building up a bull and being aggressive is the breeding sequence. So um, the breeding sequence is such an effective sequence because one, September is the only time of year that you're going to hear the sounds that are within that breeding sequence. But two, it targets more mature bulls, those breeding age bulls. Okay. Uh, because of the, the breeding sequence and, and kind of the sequence that you're doing and the picture that you're portraying, that's going to be attractive to those breeding age bulls and those more dominant bulls. And, you know, they understand what's going on and, you know, they don't have a hot cow in their group, but dang it, you're over there portraying that you're a bull with a hot cow. They're going to want to check out that hot cow and possibly even take that hot cow from you, which is going to kind of already have them come in with an aggressive state, with an aggressive nature. And then you respond to their aggressive nature and their aggressive calling 
as a bull that is protecting his hot cow. And then that just raises that aggression level extremely effectively. All right, Jerry, Michael, for the beginning hunter caller, what would you say are the sounds that they should use strictly location bugles and cow calls? So Jerry, that's kind of a loaded question because really as the beginner hunter caller, you have to define what you want. You have to define what level of success that you want. You know, are you wanting any, any elk? Are you wanting a branch antler bull? You know, what are you wanting? Because there are routines or calling sequences that, you know, like I said, the breeding sequence targets, you know, more mature bulls, those, those breeding age bulls, where on the flip side, you know, you could do a cow only routine that kind of targets any elk and, and you could call in cows, you could call in spikes, you could call in small raghorns. So, um, I mean, definitely, especially when you're learning, you know, cow calls are great because you could go out and just get into an area and do two or three cow calls, wait four or five minutes, do two or three cow calls again, wait four or five minutes. As long as you're in an area with good fresh sign, you're going to get an elk. So while you're learning the diaphragm, while you're learning those other, you know, these other sounds, you certainly can go out. So <laughs> Jonathan, I like it, 389 or bust. So go big or go home, right, brother? So, so, you know, Jerry, the important thing is, you know, really understanding the whole vocalizations. Do you need to know how to do all of them? No, but you need to understand what's going on around you based on kind of what you're what you're hearing and again so i said youtube is such a great tool because you can go on there you can listen to elk you can watch elk you can watch their behaviors you can listen to their vocalizations and you can get a really good idea of what's happening so all right uh scott i had a bull with cows that was half a mile into private so i couldn't get closer i called to him for close to two hours if i stopped he would bugle after a few minutes but wouldn't budge i cut him off and called his mama fat he got mad but wouldn't come closer they know where they're safe you know they know where those property lines are they know where they're not going to get harassed so um yeah i mean i've hunted the edge of private property before and have really gotten into those screaming matches with bulls. And you're right, they they don't budge. They know where they're safe. The other reason is, is they're staying there because they know that elk are going to jump that fence and come onto the property. So elk don't pay attention to private property. You know, only we do. So when you went quiet, he's kind of bugling at you saying, hey, are are you coming? You're going to come join us, you know, kind of what's going on. So really he was more bugling to kind of check where you were at. So Jonathan or whatever raises your heart, beat more my style. Absolutely. I still love Roger Raglan for that one when, you know, he was in a blind with a hunter and they asked if he was, if, if the animal was big enough. And Roger Raglan's response was, is your heart rate elevated? Is your breathing elevated? If your senses are elevated, your heart rate's elevated, your breathing is elevated, that animal's big enough. So there you go. The definition of trophy varies from person to person. So, 
All right. Uh, understanding there's many variables, more of an outline. Yeah, Jared, that that breeding sequence is, is really kind of what we what we go on. So uh, Jason O'Hare from YouTube. I feel like I always need to wait until I hear a bull bugle in the AM before I start. Is it ever early? Is it ever too early to throw out a location bugle? It, it can be. So, I mean, obviously, you don't really want to do a ton of calling until you can visibly, you know, visually see your pins, that you have enough shooting light, because you really don't know exactly where those elk are. You could, you could throw off and, and have had it happen before, throw off a bugle in the dark just to get an idea where everybody's at, and bang, they're right there within 50, 60 yards. You know, then you're kind of, you know, playing the game of keeping the wind right, staying close to them so that as soon as it does get light enough that you are into position that you can capitalize on that. Um, but no, you can you can throw, you know, it's not going to hurt to throw a location bugle out in the dark just to kind of see, you know, what's out there. Um, but just don't do a ton of calling. You're not going to break into your calling sequence or or anything like that. So. All right, Luke from Facebook. What about the times when elk are very quiet and the woods are quiet, but you know the elk are there? Do you use cow sounds, bugles, both, or just sit quietly until something breaks the silence? So what's going on during these quiet times? Okay, so we're going to answer what's going on during these quiet times first. So if you've elk hunted enough, especially during the rut, you've experienced this where you go into an area one day and there's just bulls screaming all over the place. It's it's a bugle frenzy. You're like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest day in the world. There's bulls all over the place. They're screaming their heads off. I absolutely love this. Then you go back the next day and it's crickets. You can't even buy a bugle in there. You can't hear anything. Well, what's happening is the day before when there was all that activity, there was a hot cow. There was a cow in estrus. So that breeding sequence was going on. Like I said, the breeding sequence and the vocalizations and the sounds that go on with that breeding sequence, they understand what's going on. Because those are only sounds that happen during September. Okay, cows. Cows will do all their vocalization throughout any time of the year. They don't have a vocalization for the rut. A bull doing location bugles can do location bugles throughout the year. But those huffs, grunts, and whines, those glunking, those are all examples of sounds that are only synonymous with the rut and only happen during September. So because of those sounds, all these other bulls understand what's going on. And that's what creates that trickle down effect. And that creates that excitement effect. Because like I said, if there's a bull with a hot cow, all the other bulls that are around him that don't have hot cows, they're interested in that hot cow. They want to scent check the air. They want to verify that that is a hot cow over there. And that's what creates that excitement. Now, your other question do you use bugles, cow sounds, both, or just sit quietly? No, don't sit quietly. But you use a mix of cow sounds and bugles to portray or paint your own breeding sequence picture. 
is basically what you're doing. So what you're doing in essence is recreating what you heard the day before. And that's the sequence that you're doing. You are painting this breeding sequence. You are a bull with a hot cow that has wandered into this area or you're new to this area and you're just creating that excitement to get those other bulls. Now you're gonna have a couple of things that are gonna happen on this. Either one, the other bulls in this area are gonna start piping off in, in excitement and response, or they're just gonna come in silently to scent check that cow, or you may get a mixture of both. But we've had it happen in the past where we've gotten into a quiet area. It was a quiet day, just like you explained. We found the fresh sign. We could smell them. We knew they were there. So we set up and started doing this breeding sequence. We started painting this picture that we're a bull with a hot cow. And there's a lot of different ways that you could do this. You know, you could just do it with one person or you could tag team with a partner to really, really paint this extravagant picture of this breeding sequence. So definitely use a mixture of cow sounds and bugles. So Luke, I hope that answered your question. So James from Facebook, is there a time that you feel you should not call at all? Um, I love calling. I love, I love the interaction. So now, I think a better question on that is, is there ever a time, it, it's more calling too much or not calling enough. And, and really more so on that calling too much. So me, no, I don't feel that, that there's ever a time that I should not call at all. But there are times that you should call very sparingly meaning matching your surroundings, not doing very many sounds at all. And again, it kind of goes back to, you know, that, that cow routine I talked about. And then I sit there for four or five minutes and then do that again. So um, that's, really kind of controlling and keeping it on the low end. So, so no, you definitely have to more in, you know, match your surroundings, match your environment, match, you know, what's going on. Typically when I go to minimal calling like that is a quiet day where I'm not hearing any birds singing. I'm not hearing any squirrels chirping. I mean, it is quiet out in that forest. That is not a day that you want to run around really tooting a bunch of calls and really creating, you know, a, a ton of excitement. You really, really want to keep it on that bottom low end. So, James, hope that answered your question. All right. God, you guys got some great, great questions tonight. I love it. So, uh, Nick, what's your go-to call when you're hearing little to no elk? I heard a few cows and a bull bugle early one day this season, but that's it. So, you know, Nick, when it's really quiet like that, so um, there's really kind of two go-to calls that I have. And the reason I say two is because depending on the time of day, I'm going to go one way or another. If it's morning or evening time, I'm going to go to that breeding sequence. 
if it's kind of midday, I'm going to go more towards just the two or three cow sounds and wait four or five minutes. So my go-to call or my go-to sequence really changes throughout the day. It doesn't change from beginning of season to end of season. My approach is still the same, whether it's morning, evening, midday. So it's breeding sequence, morning and evening, those cow sounds during the midday. So, and Nick, if you want to know more about the breeding sequence, um, you know, shoot me and shoot me a message on Facebook and we can talk about uh, getting a one on one lesson set up to where we can actually teach you that breeding sequence is is one of the things that is part of our lessons that doing on the one on one lessons with students and will be part of the whole video lesson series that uh, will be on the website coming up late spring. So, all right. Um, Jason was definitely after first light. Okay. Now, if Jason, if you can see your pins, go for it. Go ahead and, uh, you know, start calling. So, all right, guys, looks like we have about 20 minutes to wrap up. So if you have any last minute questions, throw them in. I'll let some questions come in. Uh, Friday's video, um, not going to do a premiere on Friday's just going to be a video that goes live at six on the YouTube channel. We are talking about the difference between uh, water bottles and hydration bladders, pros and cons of each, benefits of each, downfalls of each to try to help you kind of decide which one may be a better fit for you. So check that out. So, all right, Scott. I've heard people say they can tell a mature bull from a small bull by his bugles. Others say thoughts on sounding like a mature bull versus a young bull. Not necessarily the case 100% of the time. Generally, yes. On the bugle, you can, you can tell the difference. You know, smaller bulls will typically have a higher, higher kind of squealy uh, not much depth on the bottom end of their bugles where more mature bulls, when they finish and they come down, oh, you can you can really hear that that bottom end of their bugle. And it's pretty easy to tell those good dominant bulls, you know, with with that bottom end. So but there are times that uh, you can be fooled. So, I mean. I, I can think of a couple of times right off the top of my head where I would have bet a thousand bucks that the bull I was listening to was the king of the forest. I mean, just the bugle that he was just ripping. I mean, I just grinned. I shook my head and was like, holy cow, that dude is a stud. And, you know, we saw this bull step out and, and it was, you know, a small little raghorn. And I was like, oh, OK, cool. That's there, there's two bulls with him. And then he leaned his head back and just ripped that bugle. And my jaw hit the ground. I was like, there is no way that that bull is throwing off that bugle. And on the flip side, too, I've seen some big monster bulls that just didn't have much of a bugle at all to them. So. So it's not 100 percent always that way so all right guys 
what other questions do you have? So, okay, for those of you on the Facebook page and on our Instagram, so you've noticed the last couple of days have been posting kind of some um, Elk Calling Academy staff pick and deal of the days. We do have a couple of new partnerships with Black Ovis and Backcountry.com. That's where we're getting these from. My question to you guys, how often do you want to see these staff picks? Do you want to see them daily? Do you want to see them once a week, a couple of times a week? Let us know in the comments down below how often you want to see these. Um, you know, these are basically usually items that um, are on sale. They're good items. Um, and if we find something at a great price, we just want to share them and kind of give you guys, you know, the opportunity. So let us know how often you guys want to see this. So, all right, James, 423 bull killed. It sounded like a squeaky spike. I used to think I could tell the size of a bull by his bugle. Yeah, that's that's a prime example right there. So never judge a book by its color cover. So J.R. Keller, how you doing, brother? Merry Christmas to you and your family. I hope you guys had a great day yesterday. So, and JR, looking forward to seeing you here in a couple of months at the World Elk Calling Championships. So, um, Greg, you haven't said much on lip balls. So, yes, lip balls are a great sound. Um, it is one of those things that... Um, It is kind of more on the aggressive side, the lip balls are. So I do use them within my breeding sequence, but it is one of those things that um, they have to be inserted and used at the right time. It's not just something that you just want to jump right into, Greg, and start blowing lip balls because, like I said, it it, it is more of an aggressive nature sound. It does have more in a, more of an aggressive tone to it. So... Um, again, it kind of goes back to the first thing that I talked about, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to go to a party or an event and walk right into the room and just tell everybody to F off. So, you know, those lip balls have to be used at the right time. So Scott, including bikini bottoms. Yes, I know. So for those of you that saw that, so I had set these deal of the days up to just automatically post. And it just so happens that the first deal of the day was a camouflage set of bikini bottoms. No, we did not get hacked. That was the first deal of the day that was selected from backcountry.com. Who knew that backcountry.com carried women's bikini bottoms, but I'm glad you guys got a great laugh out of it because it happened during the middle of the night when I woke up and saw it, I flat out panicked and deleted it. So, so yes, yeah, Scott, thank you for bringing up the bikini bottoms. So, uh, Roy, just calls are all kinds of gear. So uh, the deal of the day in the ECA staff pick is all kinds of gear. Um, in fact, I think, you know, there was a gold zero uh, combo pack, um, backcountry stove, couple of pairs of boots. So those were just some of the examples. So bottom line, guys, just let us know how often you want to see those and we'll set that schedule up based on what you guys like. So James, how much for one-on-one -on -one call tutorial? Where can I find that info? Okay, the lessons are normally $30 each lesson. Each lesson lasts about an hour. 
sometimes go about an hour and 10. I mean, we are talking about elk and elk hunting and elk calling, so we can go a little bit longer. We do run specials that if you book a four pack, you get it for $100, so that saves you $20. Lessons are done Monday through Thursday nights at either 5.15 or 6.30 Mountain Time. Um, like I said, use Zoom video conferencing. You do get a recording. And basically within the lessons, we go through the cow sounds, bull sounds, um, you know, what they mean, how to do them. We do a little back and forth, make sure that you're comfortable, you understand them, you, do, you, you, know, you know how to do each of those. There is homework, there is drills. Uh, we go into elk behavior, elk biology, how to locate elk, how to read maps and find elk areas, um, calling strategies. We talk about the different phases of the rut. So, um, I mean, basically anything that you would need to know. And really, it's all the information and things that I've learned over 30 years of chasing elk with a bow. Um and just kind of sharing that knowledge to help you shorten that learning curve. I remember what it was like when I started. So just trying to help you guys out. So, all right, Jack, I like the sound of deal of the day. Okay. Can you lip ball? Yes. Yeah. So that's an example of a lip ball. It's a real kind of guttural sound to it. Um, like I said, there is some aggression. You'll hear it at different octaves. Sometimes it's right into the low notes. Sometimes they, they do a clean note, then break into that lip ball, break back into a clean note. Sometimes it's just, you know, the lip ball only. So there's a lot of different ways. So, all right. Um, James, do you accept PayPal? Do we message you to set it up? So easiest thing to do on the lessons is you can either message me on our Elk Calling Academy Facebook page, or you can email me. My email address is michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at elkcallingacademy.com. Um, and really the way it works is, you know, we can kind of talk a little bit, maybe get on the phone, see what you're looking for, see how many lessons. And then I email you an invoice. With that invoice, you have the option to pay with a credit debit card. You can do an ACH transaction. You can do a PayPal. So you have a lot of different options on that. And then we basically just uh, get you on the schedule and uh, get going and have a little bit of fun. Usually the way the lessons work, especially for newer callers, uh, we do a lesson, we skip the following week. So every couple of weeks we do a new lesson. That way you have plenty of time to uh, really do the homework and really get the most out of these. I don't want to dump you know too much um, info on you. Uh, Scott, really like the gear reviews and recommendations. Have you tried the quilt versus a sleeping bag? No, I have not tried the quilts yet. I have talked to Tristan over at 6 a.m. Outdoors talking about, you know, trying that. Once the weather gets better, um, I kind of started, I chatted briefly with Chris over at Elk Addicts. Um, we may kind of see if we can put together kind of a conjoined 
bivy weekend equipment test to where, you know, I take a hammock sleep system with a couple of pieces. He takes a floored tent or a floorless tent, you know, and we go back in the country, back country for the weekend. We try a couple of different backcountry stoves and it's almost basically like we're going to do an actual gear comparison test. Um, but Scott, yeah, we do have a lot of um, gear reviews and comparison tests, um, you know, coming up with the first one being Friday with the water bladder or, or the hydration bladder versus, you know, the water bottle. So uh, Steve is late again. I like it. Okay, thanks. Wish I could find time for all your shows. Always good info. Uh, you know, Amy and Tim, you can always find the replays on our YouTube channel. So um, if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, you know, be sure you do that and, you know, click that follow button. Um, but when you go into our YouTube channel, we have a couple of different playlists. So one playlist is the beginner's guide to elk calling um, that I think there's a 12 or 10 video series in there about getting started. Uh, there's the whole Wapiti Wednesday, you know, Q&A. So that um, you can go back and watch all episodes. So uh, Houston, what's your YouTube, YouTube channel? It's Elk Calling Academy is our YouTube channel. So Instagram page is Elk Calling Academy. Facebook page is Elk Calling Academy. YouTube channel is Elk Calling Academy. So um, Jerry, like the deal of the day. Okay. So I just wanted to make sure that you guys, it, it wasn't too much if I posted, you know, one item a day is, and, and it's going to be, you know, the, the ECA staff pick slash deal of the day. So I'm just going to do one post per day on something like that. So, okay. Posted a picture of this the other day. Told you guys that I have a review coming up. I do have an extra one here and said, maybe I should give it away. I'm gonna leave it in your guys' hands. You tell me how I should give this away. What kind of contest should we run to pick a winner for the champ, the new diaphragm from uh, Corey Jacobson and Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. So I am still gonna get the review of that done, but I want you guys to kind of um, decide on the contest, so. Lewis, hear any changes to the World Elk Calling Contest this year? Yes, Lewis, there's a bunch of changes. So they do have two regional qualifiers. One is in two weeks in Denver. The other one is in Salt Lake in March. You do not have to go to the qualifiers to qualify for the World Championships. The World Championships are July 11th through the 13th in Park City, Utah. They have a whole bunch of events that are gonna be going on in Park City. It is also the same weekend as the Total Archery Challenge archery shoot. So there's going to be the archery shoot going on. RMEF has all kinds of banquets and dinners, and there also is going to be the finals for the World Elk Calling Championships. Uh, the two regional qualifier rounds basically are to help with seeding. Um, first place in Denver, I think is $1,200. First place in Salt Lake in March is $4,000. And I haven't heard what the total prize package in Park City is. So Houston Bugle Calling Contest. Yes, it's the World Elk Calling uh, Championships. So the finals are July 11th through the 13th in Park City, Utah. So 
Uh, giveaway should be submitted videos of cow calls and bugles. So there's a recommend, there's a suggestion. So what do you guys think? Should that be kind of submit a short video making cow sounds or bugles and then let everybody vote on the winner? Let us know. So uh, I used the champ all September, loved it. Looking forward to your thoughts. So yeah, you know, Hunt, I, I keep trying to get time to play with that thing, but have so much <laughs> going on that I, I think I just need to come down here, lock the door and just sit down and, and record a bunch of videos. So, all right, guys, we are knocking on the door of the hour mark. So we're going to wrap this up for this week. Uh, Guys, awesome tonight. Loved all the questions. Had a lot more interaction on Instagram, which absolutely loved. So Facebook, YouTube, you guys always rock. So thanks for tuning in, guys. You know, hey, we're coming to the end of the year, and I just want to thank each and every one of you for the support that you guys have given us, the growth that you have allowed us to have this year. So it just really means a lot to us. Really looking forward to 2019 and really taking the next step with this. So Thank you again for tuning in tonight, guys. As always, keep calling, keep practicing, but most importantly, have fun. And we will see you guys next week on the next episode of Wapiti Wednesday Live Q&A brought to you by Elk Calling Academy. Follow and subscribe to Elk Calling Academy on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Patreon for tips, tactics, gear reviews, and live Q&A, helping you to success faster. Thank you for listening. Follow and tag us on Instagram at Western Contours. Jump on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down.